Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden, and we're going to preview the Week 3 matchup between the Atlanta Falcons and the Seattle Seahawks on today's episode. Joining me to do that is one of the co-hosts of Take 12, the best Seahawks podcast in Seattle. It's going to be Brett Davern joining me to break all of that good stuff down. I'm really, really curious to see this matchup because... You know, it's the it's the first chance really that the Falcons, I think, have against a team of if not equal, maybe lesser talent. Um, based on what we've seen through two games, I would make the argument, and I will here in a minute, uh, that the Falcons are the better team going into this one. And so they should win. And again, this year has been all about how do they stack up against the good teams? Do they own the bad teams? Where are they in that good bad team spectrum? They have hung with you know it's it's not been pretty at times it's been very inconsistent it's been great for the first three quarters against new orleans and then a terrible fourth quarter it's been a really really bad start to the first half against la and then a bunch of turnovers some better offensive drives and you make a game of it there in the fourth quarter so it's not been pretty it's been pretty hectic but the falcons have only lost their two games by a combined five points so They've stuck with two good teams, you know, two playoff contenders, the reigning Super Bowl champ among them. So it's now time to see, can they really beat and lay it to the bad teams on their schedule? Because that's the other half of this equation. It's not just enough to kind of hang in there with the the good teams. This is the league that is built to finish with a one score margin. We see it all the time in the NFL. So it's not enough just to hang with the good teams. You've got to start beating the teams and handing it to the teams that you are supposed to. That is what the good teams do. And if the Falcons want to be a good team, this Sunday is their first chance to kind of make that statement. So we're going to get into all of that. And before we get to my conversation with Brett, I'm going to talk a little bit more about, you know, what the Falcons have done well and what they haven't done well through the first two games. We're going to just kind of take stock of this Atlanta squad. um, And we're going to do all of that right after this. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information, from live in-game betting, props, and futures. So head to bet online or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. And use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, so going back and having rewatched both games... I got to tell you, I'm, I'm more impressed. I'm feeling better about this team right now than I certainly was coming into the season. And I never voiced this. And and sure, this could totally sound just like in hindsight, I'm going to tell you that the thing that has unfolded is what I thought would unfold all along. Read it that way if you want. That's not really what's happening here. I just wasn't brave enough to really voice this take. 
and I could still be proven wrong on it, but I did kind of think that maybe there was a chance as much as last season at seven wins was a surprise. The Falcons, I think, could actually have a better record this year. Now, obviously, starting 0-2 hampers that, but the play on the field, I think, backs up at least the notion that I was having heading into the year that what if this team just like, yeah, the players are different. We don't consider them as good, but what if they're the right players for this scheme? It's it's a little bit like, all right, is maybe a lesser circle in a circle hole better than a great square in a circle hole? That's kind of what I was thinking. And then I do believe in this coaching staff. I think that Arthur Smith is a really um, smart play caller and really creative and just kind of knows and gets what he's talking about. So all of that was leading me to believe that maybe the Falcons could actually be better, even though I was vocalizing. Yeah, I think that for all the reasons that I've been talking about on this podcast forever, uh, that they would probably be a five to six win team. Now, they could very easily still end up with five to six wins. I do think their schedule is harder. Um, and you just never know in this league injuries could happen, things like that. And as we're going to get to right now, this is not necessarily a perfect team. Yes, they have played two close games and they have made some key improvements in what I think are some key areas. So let's kind of get to them. I wrote down five good things about this team through two weeks, five bad things throughout this, uh, throughout the five weeks for the Falcons. Just going to kind of take stock of, of where this team is right now. So the first good thing, um, that I had written down Based according to true media, the Falcons actually have the best offensive successful play rate in the NFL. Now, what that is, is based on expected points added per play, kind of taking in the context of the game and and the flow and just all of the um, external factors. So generally, just how much does any given play add to your perceived, you know, point total? Um, the Falcons have a 49.3% uh, offensive successful play rate, again, according to True Media, and that is the best in the league. 61% of their first down plays have gained at least four yards, which is the best mark in the NFL. So if we're starting right there and probably to the eye test, it's looked like this Falcons offense has been a little bit more consistent, a little bit more maybe sure of itself. For, for lack of a, a better phrase, like it just feels like it knows what it is a little bit more and that each play connects to either the one before it or the one coming up after it. And there's a cohesion to this offense. So it makes a lot more sense. Um, and I think that that, you know, I wasn't necessarily shocked to see that stat because that's kind of what it feels like. There aren't a ton of negative plays. Um, and it does feel like, hey, three, four yards, pretty much a play. And then maybe here's a nine yarder to Kaderil Hodge or something like that. That's kind of what this offense has felt like. Um, so that's the first good thing. Second good thing, obviously Drake London. Yep. Your, your first round pick looks like you, uh, you got a good one there, Atlanta. Um, he has been by far and away kind of the best receiver for this team through the first two weeks outside of Cordero Patterson, probably the best offensive player, uh, writ large. And I don't know how much of that is just teams are totally trying to take Kyle Pitts away, but spoiler alert, that's not really what I saw. Um, going back and, and watching film, there were plenty of chances. It just seemed more like the offense was designed to go somewhere else or Marcus Mariota liked the pre-snap read one way or the other. Um, but he is clearly hooking up with Drake London uh, a lot. So Drake London actually threw two games, his first two games. That's important. He's the fifth player in NFL history with at least five catches and 70 plus yards uh, through his first two games. If he does that again on, on Sunday against Seattle, and I 
really think there's a strong case that he will. He will join Andre Johnson as only one of two players to have at least five catches and 70 yards in the first three games of their NFL career. So, yeah, it's pretty, pretty uh, awesome stuff that Drake London is doing out there for Atlanta. Third thing, and this is pretty simple. The offensive line is playing much better, much better than I thought they would. Uh, much better than they were last year, that's for sure. I think that has to do, A, with the kind of offensive scheme changing with Marcus Mariota. There's just much more of a run threat on any given play, and they've done a great job tying their play-action pass sets to a lot of their run actions. So defenses really can't get a read, whether it's a, a pass or a run on any given play, and that is a huge, huge benefit and gives the offensive line a huge advantage to start which is why we're seeing much better play, I think, from that unit as a whole. Fourth thing, Michael Walker and Richie Grant, they're playing really well. Two young defenders that you kind of needed to have step up. I've been very impressed with their play. Michael Walker had some downs against the Rams, but his ups were huge. That interception obviously was, was big. He is one of three players in the NFL currently with a sack, a fumble recovery, and an interception. So he's taken a huge step in his third year. And then Richie Grant, again, is really, really reliable and dependable, I think, on that back end. And is making a lot of plays kind of in the run game as well. So that's number four. Number five, special teams. Special teams have been good. And that's usually a mark of a pretty well-coached team is solid special teams units. They've had great returning um, so far. I, I believe that, I want to say they're like fourth or fifth in average yards per punt return. So Avery Williams doing a good job there. Cordero Patterson had a chance, I thought, to break a, a kickoff return um, for a second there against the Rams. And then, of course, the blocked punt. So Falcon special teams, they're they're looking good. So those are five good, good reasons, you know, things that I do think matter. Offensive line play is huge. The young defenders, uh, Michael Walker, Richard Graham playing better. I should also mention Darren Hall, Taquan Graham. I've been impressed with their play as well. So some young guys stepping up. But... Let's get to some of the bad. And this is where the good teams usually succeed in these areas. And it's probably why the Falcons are a good, bad team and not fully a good team. Red zone. It, Arthur Smith talked a lot about it in Wednesday's press conference. The importance of the red zone. It kind of doesn't matter how you get down there. If, if you're playing against zone defense or man defense, you're getting explosive plays or you're dinking and diming. Uh, nickel and diming, dinking and diming. What? That's dinking and dumping. There we go. Um, I think that's... The red zone obviously is where Arthur Smith is most focused because that is where the points come from, right? And the Falcons actually are, are scoring a decent amount of points. I think they're ninth in scoring offense right now, but they are converting their touchdowns in the red zone at only a 50% clip, which is tied for 19th. And more importantly, their red zone defense is tied for 30th. So yeah, they are third worst, tied for the third worst red zone defense, which means when the Falcons are getting inside of the 20, it's field goals. I mean, sometimes it's touchdowns, but it's field goals. And when other teams are getting down in the red zone, it's touchdowns, which is, you know, definitely a huge factor in two games when you lose by a combined five points. So if the Falcons can start holding these teams to field goals and start converting in the red zone more often, you know, then we can maybe see this team really start to make some a surprise run and make some noise. But until then, and that comes down to the details, they've got to clean up in that area. Third down as well. Another huge aspect. In fact, Arthur Smith said, you could probably make the case that they're 0-2 because of third down in the red zone specifically. So third down offense, they're converting 34.8% of their third down attempts tied for 18th in the league. Defensively, they are giving up 
43.5% um, of the time they're giving up a first down on third down, which is 20th. So again, you got to get teams off of the field and you've got to maintain these drives when you do have setbacks and get into third down, which the Falcons, I think, have done a decent job of avoiding by and large. Third, they're not enough explosive plays from this offense. The Falcons only have four plays, according to NFL.com, four plays of 20 plus yards and zero plays of 40 plus yards. The only teams with fewer than four, at least 20 yard plays this season, the Seahawks, who the Falcons will see Sunday, the Giants and the Browns. Those aren't necessarily offenses you want to be in league with right now. So the Falcons, for all the good that they're doing, like I mentioned, the best offensive successful play rate in the NFL, they're moving the ball a little bit each time, a little bit, a little bit each time, but you need to get these chunk plays. They need to get that more. Um, they need to get that up and they need to start hitting some more chunk plays. And how about doing it to Kyle Pitts, who is the fourth bad thing so far? You don't need me to rehash it, but those two go hand in hand. Get your best player on offense involved a little bit more. Get those explosives down the field. And then maybe you can avoid the red zone altogether. It all kind of builds on each other, these bads, but they are so key that it's really holding down a lot of the good that the Falcons have done. Finally, they're giving up 29 points per game. A lot of that does come down to the red zone, but the Falcons need to find a way to either increase turnovers, which they've got four turnovers so far this year. That's not a bad start. Increase sacks, which are drive killers. They didn't have any. They had one, I think, against the Rams. But you've got to start doing those two things a little bit more frequently. Otherwise, your red zone defense has to improve. You just have to be a wall down at the red zone and force field goals. But one of those things needs to give for all of the good that this team has been doing to really, really matter because I don't think the Falcons are far off. But for all the good that they've done through two weeks, it's these small little details in these really, really key areas that usually separates the good teams from the bad teams. And that is where the Falcons have fallen short so far. So those are my thoughts on the first two weeks of the season. Let's get into my conversation with Brett Deverne of Take 12. And the cool thing that we did uh, in this conversation is honestly, we're just going to put it up on both podcasts. So you're going to kind of get it from both sides. Brett's going to ask me questions. I'm going to ask him questions. But ultimately, it's going to be a really great conversation that I think you will all benefit from because we're going to learn a little bit about Seattle and you're going to get more of my thoughts on the Falcons, particularly as it uh, pertains to this matchup. So let's get to it. William, the Falcons don't scare us, but I don't think the Seahawks scare you. And these two teams seem pretty mediocre so far. What are we looking at going into this game? Well, it's a great way to frame it. Uh, <laughs> you like off, that? I I think that one of the things that was so shot, not shocking, but just like, I guess, just such a, a blow to the gut seeing the Falcons schedule because we didn't have the highest expectations for them. And mm -hmm. then their first seven games, honestly, up until a Thursday night matchup with Carolina, really tough. And yeah, that changed a little bit with the Deshaun Watson suspension because they got the Browns up to the Seahawks. But even looking at it, it was honestly New Orleans at home week one and Seattle on the road week three were kind of the two wins that you could maybe see the Falcons getting um, in their first seven games. I actually feel much better about that prediction now mm -hmm. uh, heading into week three than I did at the time because you know I, I haven't seen much to like and we'll get into this from Seattle so far where I have seen a, 
good bit to like for Atlanta, even though they are 0-2. They've been a little bit feistier in these games than I expected. Right, yeah, totally. I mean, look, Seahawks, huge emotional game week one. Russ's return, they clearly got up for it. They ended up getting that one by one, but then we saw what happened last week against the Niners, and all of us here in Seahawk land are obviously hoping that the Seahawks can play better. But, I mean... Like I said, you know, you guys don't really make us nervous. We don't really make you nervous. I mean, but if there is one thing when you look at the Seahawks, is there a playmaker you're looking at that, that you know, does make you nervous at all? Are you guys nervous even just a little bit about anything? That's so funny because I have the same question written down uh, <laughs> for, for a Seattle standpoint. But yeah. no, I mean, I, I think that... Um, Obviously, the Jamal Adams, like I could give the Chris Collinsworth answer and just be like, Jamal Adams, what a game changer, what a record. But I, I, you know, I think that having paid attention to Seattle, because I almost view Seattle as like a little sister city and kind of Philly the same way, maybe a birds thing. But with the Dan Quinn (laughs) connection, he always kept a little bit of an eye on on Seattle. Um, And I know Jamal Adams has not really played up to the expectation and that this year was going to be a big year and, and he kind of looked good up until that injury, but mm-hmm. you take him away. Quandry Diggs, big fan of him. I have yeah. been for a while. Yeah. Um, but this is a, a big departure from, you know, Pete's Carroll, Pete Carroll's long, great history of, of Seattle defenses. And it sounds like that's intentional, right? More of a three, four look base kind of five man fronts. It's exactly what Atlanta is doing here. So I don't know defensively if, if there are too many guys that, that really truly scare me. Um, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to look at my notes here. I, I think that um Inwosu has had like a good yeah. start for you guys. Yeah, and great season so far. Off to a good start. Maybe there's a there's a chance that that, that happens, but Marcus Mariota's been really good back there and at escaping pressure. And then offensively, maybe Rashad Penny is the I mean, the receivers are still clearly scary, right? DK Metcalf, that one-handed catch that got called back last yep. week. I stood up out of my couch. Yeah. Is that that I stood up <laughs> off of my couch, maybe. You can stand up on your couch <laughs> like Tom Cruise. I'm in love with exactly. DK. Yeah. <laughs> I got up like DK did on that catch. Yeah, you did. Um, and it sucked to see it get called back. But those guys are still there. I just yeah. have big questions about Geno Smith. And yeah. so offensively, not really. And defensively, you know, Quandry Diggs, maybe. But I, I just think that the defense is more the sum of the parts. And I don't know if I'm scared of that yet. Right. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I think for us, too, you know, looking at your guys last game, you know, Mariota, 17 of 26 for 196, two touchdowns, two interceptions. I mean, we we're giving up a lot of yards uh, this, this season so far. And Mariota, you know, local kid from the PNW. So returning yeah. up there, he'll probably have a lot of fans in the stands, a lot of friends and family there, stuff like that. So, you know, he's going to be motivated. So he, he scares me a little bit. And then of course, London, I mean, yep. you know, he can take the top off and, and score a bunch of points. So, I mean, cause so see, you're not really nervous about our defense and I'm nervous about our defense. You see what I mean? Um, and, and those are the kinds of things that I think scare me about you guys. One thing that doesn't really have me scared, and I, I want to know from you what's going on here, against the Rams, which was your guys' last game, you guys lost 27-31. Believe me, all of us in Seattle were pulling for you guys in that game, but you guys <laughs> came up just short. Um, but the rushing stats, Cordero Patterson was your leading rusher with 10 carries for 41 yards. I mean, it's a Mm 4.1 yard average, but why is Cordero Patterson carrying the ball 10 times for you guys and and is your leading rusher? I I looked at that. I was like, what is going on in Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, that's part of it has to do with just the way the game unfolded. He's a receiver though, right? 
he's just a gadget player, right? He's, <laughs> he's the, he's the yeah. one eye Jack, right? Yeah. He's the, he's the wild card. And in week one, he had a career high 22 carries for 120 yards. It, I didn't, I didn't realize he's, he's like the Debo Samuel of the yeah. NFC South. I didn't, I just didn't even understand that. That shows you how much Falcons games I've been watching lately. Or fantasy football played right, um, yeah. last year. But yeah, no, I mean, he, Debo Samuel is the exact correct way to think about Cordero Patterson. And it's he on the one hand, like he runs like a kick returner. He's mm-hmm. just shot out of a can and runs downhill from the second that he gets the ball, which it's a lot of fun to watch when he gets going like that. But on the other hand, he's a very effective receiver. Last mm-hmm. season, Matt Ryan, it was kind of his go-to guy, even down the sidelines and kind of some of these whole shots against cover three looks, things like that. So he is a huge X factor for this Falcons team, but they want to run the ball. Last week just got a little bit out of hand with them, um, with the Rams kind of getting such a big lead. And frankly, the Rams defensive front, Greg Gaines was insane in Mm -hmm. that game. He single-handedly wrecked several kind of short yardage plays where the Falcons were looking to, to really move the ball. I expect them to have better success running the ball this week. I don't think the game is going to get really out of hand, maybe in either direction. So it should be, um, there should be a lot of opportunities for them to run the ball. But I want to ask you, so Seattle's yeah. run game under Pete Carroll has usually been the bread and butter, but I read an interview this morning where it looks like he now wants to to let Gino cook. Is I mean, is that kind of what the word is around I know. The, it, the street? And how this, do you feel about that? This offense for the last few years has just been very confusing, I think, for a lot of people because like, like and you just said it there, and, and Lofa and I talk about on our show how the national media or people more with a national perspective have this assumption that a Pete Carroll team wants to just run the ball. We ran mm-hmm. the ball great with Marshawn. I mean, we know Pete wants to run the ball, but then without Marshawn, sometimes they don't really run it, which leaves us all scratching our heads. I don't really even know if us as Seahawks fans or the Seahawks really even know what kind of an offense they run. Shane Waldron's been there now. Uh, This is his second full season or third. He was Russ's guy. That's what we all heard when he came in. It was like kind of the guy that Russ wanted. Well, Russ isn't there anymore. Russ was kind of cooking while he was there, but then P said he wanted to run. So then we ran more. So now Russ is gone, but Russ's guy is still there. We're not really running the ball very much when we think we should be (laughs) running the ball. I mean, Rashad Penny's in a contract year, right? They brought him back for the one year and they don't even give him 20 carries a game. Mm -hmm. Run him. What's the pitch count for? Let's get him in there. Let's see what he, let's see what he can do and see if we want to sign him to a long-term thing. And for him, he's got to be frustrated because this is his one year to show it and there's right. really nothing to show so far. Uh, our Travis Homer, our, our third down back, I think played more snaps last week than any other running back in that room for us, which that doesn't make sense to us when we look at our rushing stat line. So I think for the Seahawks, we got to kind of figure out who we are on offense. Like, like you said, whether it's Gino going off or not. I mean, he's been, he's been careful with the ball. He hasn't made turnovers. Do we trust him yet? I'm not really sure. I want to. So like for me, everything's on the table. Let Gino air it out (laughs) and run the ball a million times. Our problem is we can't hang on to the ball. You know, we're not getting first downs and our defense is out there a long time. And that is what really hurt us last season. And it's what hurt us last game. And against you guys, if if our defense is out there the whole time, 
<laughs> with Mariota sending guys deep, you know, I mean, Kyle Pitts, I mean, talk about a talented tight end that hasn't even really been utilized so far this year, year for you guys. Could be a yep. long day for us, man. But also, but much like you, I think these teams are pretty evenly matched a little bit. And so I'm hoping this is going to be at least an entertaining game. I think it will be entertaining. You know, it's really interesting that you mentioned the offense kind of being unable to sustain drives because that's something that I think the Falcons have done really well, but it's oh, also no. what I think can be their Achilles heel <laughs> mm-hmm. because I don't know if they're talented enough yet or consistently talented enough to overcome setbacks on drives, you know, and that could be a false start penalty. That could be a hold. That could be a first down run that gets stopped for a two yard loss. You know, I don't know if they're able to consistently win on second and long or third and long, but they look beautiful on offense when they kind of are in rhythm, when it is second and three or, you know, Third and one, they've been a little iffy this year, but but you kind of get my point. Mm-hmm. In doing the research and looking at the numbers, you know, Geno Smith has the highest completion percentage among all quarterbacks in the league, but he's got the a 32nd in average depth of target right. in the air. Is They're that kind of what you're down. getting at? There's just yeah, there's no explosive plays and they can't really maintain anything on offense. So it's three and out six and out, you know, just that type of stuff. Yeah. I mean, they're just jump dumping it off short and the first game to DK, even they didn't go down the field at all. And then as you mentioned, they go down the field in week two, but it gets called back. So yeah, they're just not uh, pushing the ball down the field. And, and even in the intermediate and like mid-level stuff, they're not really hitting a lot of those like seam routes and, and, you know, um, things that you usually see over the middle. And that's what we were excited to see is like Gino, no, offense to Russ here or anything. He is just shorter. And a lot of people, you know, there's that, that, that assumption that he can't see over the middle or whatever. So this year we were looking forward to Gino going down the middle a little bit more and it it just hasn't come to fruition yet. So I hope we start seeing that against you guys. Um, But I want to ask about your D though. I mean, Mm -hmm. how is your D? Are you guys going to give up some points? Cause we need to score some points. I'm curious to see how they do defend this this Seahawks offense because in the game after the Rams and it was very clear that in week one against New Orleans they were much more aggressive in challenging the receivers in kind of sending some extra guys after Jameis but even when they would send four it was creative which I expect to that be to be the case on Sunday as well DNP's likes to send when he sends four it's not going to be the same four and it's not going to be the front four it's going to come from different places Mm -hmm. but against the Rams they they dialed it back they kind of ran a lot more of that blanket zone defense, a lot of, you know, cover, cover three, cover two, um, even some cover four mixed in there. So I think they wanted to keep everything in front of them. Given, you know, Gino's propensity to to drop the ball or dump the ball off. And, and Pete Carroll has said, you know, that's kind of how they played. And we were okay with them, you know, playing us that way. Speaking about San Francisco's defense to Seattle, it, if Seattle's only going to put up seven points and those are going to come from special teams, I kind of think Atlanta is going to play the exact same way and mm. maybe just say, all right, we'll not let DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett beat us deep. If you want to run it with Rashad Penny or Kenneth Walker, like go ahead. If yeah. you want to dump it off to whoever, go ahead. Yeah. And we'll make you put together these long drives that you have not been able to put together. So I think that we'll see a little bit of a less aggressive Falcons defense because Seattle's offense has not proven it yet. But there have been struggles from AJ Terrell so far. Casey Hayward got dinged up in the last game. I'm not sure his status yet, although I, I expect him to be out there. But they've not played as well. Michael Walker and Rashawn Evans, their linebackers, have been probably the the key guys so far. And then their defensive line had a great week one. We're kind of disappearing in, in week two, so that remains to be seen. But 
speaking of disappearing and, and honestly, you know, I, I'm saying that not really fully knowing the answer. So I'm going to ask you a genuine question here. Okay. What's Noah Fant been up to? Like, is he a part of this offense? Yeah, I, they've been getting him in. Um, I think he, I don't know what he ended up with last game. He had some first, uh, some catches for sure in the first game. He had some catches last game. I just don't know the exact stats on it or anything. But I, I kind of like the way they're working him in. I mean, he looks great. He's fast. He catches the things they throw to him. He's, he's got good hands. They <laughs> well, need to good. use him a little bit more. I mean, honestly, I was going to ask you the same thing about Kyle Pitts. I kind of touched yeah. on it a second ago, but like, how come they're not using him? Uh, selfishly, I have him on my fantasy team. So you guys got to yeah. start using him a little bit more. But he's just, he's not really getting his numbers uh, yet either that I think people expected, is he? Yeah, I, I, definitely not. I mean, and that has been the kind of key thing I think around here in Atlanta is what's going on with Kyle Pitts. Now, you know, the, the simple answer is he's not really getting the looks. He's not really getting involved so much as a receiver. And I think the Falcons would point to probably 30 plays where he is a receiver out running a route to some degree, but there are also more times where the Falcons are using him as a blocker, hmm. whether that be in pass protection on kind of two man longer developing routes where you're going to want to have six, seven guys in to protect Marcus Mariota while those develop. But it's almost as though they expect the defenses to fully key on Kyle Pitts because he is such a great weapon to that yeah. degree that they're fooling them a little bit. Or And I expect that to no longer be a case because after two games of him being used in a play action pass as kind of to just to set the edge and be an extra obstacle for a defensive end, a, I don't know if Seattle is going to threaten kind of Atlanta's offense in that way. So they're going to feel like they need to bring him in. But teams just have film on this now. And I think they are better served in getting Kyle Pitts out there, getting him involved. I would expect if Kyle Pitts is going to have a breakout game this season, they are going to give him every opportunity on Sunday to no. let it happen in Seattle. Oh, man, I hope not. I mean, look, I got him on my fantasy team, but, you know, you know how it is. I got Rashad Penny, too. So, like, you know, <laughs> let's... Y'all can run the ball, and we'll just throw it a million times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I hope not. Oh, man. I really... We need a good game here, man. Like, up here in Seattle, you know? I mean, I think... I think both of us are kind of looking at this game the same way, right? Like, we're not really sure of what we got, but a lot is going to be determined from this game, and I think we're both equally hoping it goes well for each of our teams. Um, I want to ask you about the NFC South, though, yeah. right? Because you got Tom Brady down there. I mean, they're clearly the front runners in that division. Um, and I mean, speaking of them, how about, well, actually, we want to talk about the fight real quick. You want to talk about the suspension? You want to talk about Mike Evans? I mean, talk talk about somebody who I do have on my fantasy team and who kill, I have Trey Lance and Mike Evans and they oh, lost. Oh, wow, no, yeah. You know, uh -oh. Just because those guys didn't play the entire game. Um, but yeah, I mean, Mike Evans being out, it's going to be interesting. I think I love the, the rivalries in the NFC South. Yeah. I mean, I... I think so many Falcons fans were very excited to see Marshawn Lattimore just absolutely get trucked. Um, yeah, he's especially since AJ Terrell is here because Falcons and Saints fans obviously are our biggest rival, uh, one of the best rivals I think in the uh, NFL. Yeah, but there was always that weird kind of bragging rights thing where when we had Julio and then they got Michael Thomas, they just would not shut up about Michael Thomas, and we're like, yeah, but like look at all the great things that Julio does, and your guy runs pretty slant routes, but like it's whatever, and then. Marshawn Lattimore, they were like, all right, well, we've got the top corner, you guys, and then we got A.J. Terrell. And so it's kind of like this weird back and forth thing. But to see Marshawn Lattimore kind of get that from Mike Evans, where I 
think pretty collectively on Mike Evans's side um, in that case, which I never thought, you know, I would take part in defending Tom Brady, <laughs> but here we are. Right. Yeah. Or Mike Evans for that matter. So where do you think the Falcons ultimately end up then in this division? Well, based on, I think they're a better team than the Panthers. Um, I think, I think it, there's a chance that it comes kind of neck and neck with, with new Orleans. Mm-hmm. Obviously there's a long way to go there, but those, the Falcons and the Saints feel like the two teams where there's maybe the most variability in how their seasons can play out in this division, which again, I did not necessarily think that was the case two weeks ago. So I reserved the the right to default back to my original take this year, which was kind of like, this is a six win team. I don't think they're very good, but I think they're going to be kind of professional enough and just have a baseline floor of competency that is going to win them some games because the league is a close league and usually it comes down to you know, situational football, but the Falcons have looked a lot better than I expected coming into the year. Panthers have not looked good at all. Um, and the saints have not been, you know, the team that I thought they would be. So I'm still trying to figure them out a little bit. If I had to guess right now, I'd say third, but if they finish second, I would not be shocked. Well, just don't put that on a t-shirt though. You know, you don't want to see a t-shirt that says Atlanta Falcons base level of competency. It's not going to, no, no more T-shirts. Dan Quinn took all the T-shirts with him when, when he went to Dallas. So, um, Base level of confidence. Although that's a good one. <laughs> uh, give me a prediction for the game. Uh, how do you think this thing uh, shakes out? Ooh, so as much as we talked about the Falcons and the, Sa- the Seahawks kind of being in the same boat, I think this is going to be a big one for Atlanta. I think they're going to kind of really get on the right track. I'm going to say 32, which is not a score you hear a lot, uh-huh. uh, 13. Oh, no. Did you hear that, Seahawks fans? Oh, man. Well, listen, William, I like you, but I hope you're wrong. I mean, I understand (laughs) that. But but Brett, I got to know what what is your prediction? Well, look, the Seahawks this year, like we said, we don't know what we're going to get. It's going to be ugly. They've all been ugly. And if we're going to win it, it's going to be an ugly win. So I'm going to go low scoring. I think, again, we're, we're, we're... 16, 17, 18 points. Uh, let's make it weird. Give me 18 points. Just why not? Um, there you go. Because, you know, why not? And then uh, give me the Falcons 15. For the we're game. going to get Scorigami in this game. Ugly, strange scoring, low scoring, and I think we just eke one out. Um, and mostly just because we're at home. We like to play well at home, home cooking, all that kind of stuff. Um, but Mariota is going to be fired up, so trust me. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to talk about playing at home. I, I think Mark's Mariota, big game. I think yeah. Drake London, big game. Thanks, man. Thanks for the chat. Yeah, no problem, Brett. Thank you all for listening to today's podcast which is presented by Bet Online. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Brett about the Seahawks game. Again, as I've said before, I really feel like this is the opportunity. In fact, I'm going to write about it for the Falcolic. I encourage you guys to check it out on the website. The big question this week for me, in golf, right, they talk about birdie opportunities. You know that you're not really going to score on every single hole. That's kind of how I'm looking at the Falcons season this year, and this is their first birdie opportunity, I really believe that, of the season. This is a game going into it, the Falcons should win. I feel confident saying that. They're a better team than Seattle right now. I think that their talent may be comparable in some areas, but I like the Falcons' talent a little bit more in key areas, and they're just playing better football. They feel like a better team to me, so even though it's on the road, even though it's 12th man, I will be very surprised if the Falcons kind of don't look good on Sunday, 
And I really think that they will and that they'll handle their business out on the road. So those are my final thoughts. Please, if you guys like the podcast, let everybody know where they can find us, um, which is wherever you get your podcasts. Um, please follow Ovi and I on Twitter. Uh, Ovi will be back with me on Sunday to break down the uh, the Falcons-Seahawks game. And I am going to be uh, guest hosting the Believe kind of football hour at uh, 7.15, 7 o'clock, 7.15 um, over on YouTube on the Believe Network YouTube channel on Sunday night, just kind of recapping a lot of the NFL action around the league. So if you guys want to tune in for that, I'd really appreciate it. It would mean a lot. But please follow Ovi and I on Twitter at OviMahaley34. You can follow me at Will McFadden. Nice and easy. Again, please tell your friends and family if they are fans of the Falcons, they'll probably be fans of this podcast as well. We will see you again bright and early Monday morning with our reactions and recaps uh, from this weekend's game. If you guys want to, head over to the YouTube page, check me out, um, recapping kind of league-wide action. But if we don't see you over there, we'll see you Monday morning. And until then, everybody, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.